Hello and welcome to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. We're an intersectional activist organization working to build a society and economy run by the working class, a society that democratically meets the needs of the many rather than creating profits for the few. Renegade Paradise is a news, commentary, and educational platform based on socialist analysis from activists on the ground here in the Low Country. By sharing a socialist perspective and by lifting up the voices of our allies and comrades, we hope to create a space for folks in this part of the country looking to deepen their understanding of leftist politics, but who might not know exactly where to start. Members of the Charleston Democratic Socialists of America come from a broad, diverse set of backgrounds and tendencies within the spectrum of the working class left. What unites us is one common goal, to build a different world, a better world. I'm C.J. Bones, and tonight we're going to be talking about the spontaneous protest actions that have been happening around the country uh, as a uh, response to police violence. It's no secret that the police are an institution with roots that have a strong connection with slavery. Let's break down that statement a little bit um, before we get into the episode here. So in the antebellum South, the population of enslaved human beings outnumbered their white land-owning counterparts by a pretty strong degree. Uh, According to South Carolina Encyclopedia, of 17,000 people in South Carolina in 1720, 12,000 were black. By 1740, the population had grown to around 45,000, and of that 45,000, approximately 30,000 were black. Given that fact, let's also remember that the vast majority of the state was a far cry from the uh, bustling port town that Charleston was. A lot of the state was rural and dotted with large plantations, uh, estates, farms, rice fields, uh, all owned by wealthy white aristocrats, and these same aristocrats depended on slave labor uh, to maintain their economic and political power. So there was a constant fear among this white landowning uh, class of armed uprisings by enslaved black folks toppling the economic status quo. As a result, they enacted various armed slave patrols throughout the colony, and this was the one of the earliest and most prolific forms of policing in the American South. Uh, The purpose of these patrols would usually be divided up into three parts, um, to chase down enslaved black folks who had escaped their captors and return them, uh, to deal out punishment to enslaved people who had been returned to their captors, or for enslaved folks who may not have tried to escape but have committed some other infraction, um, and to engage in organized terrorism to deter future uprisings. So while slave patrols weren't really unique in the fact that they Uh, dispensed violence and and terror to enslaved black people. Uh, Obviously, we can't forget plantation owners, field overseers, and the like, um, who often used uh, brutal punishment uh, to maintain that same sort of fear-based control. Uh, Slave patrols were a little different because they were largely empowered to uh, and compelled to do so by the respective colonies. So this was was officially government-sanctioned as opposed to just sort of looking the other way and and treating uh, white aristocrats with kind of a laissez-faire attitude. Um, It was the first sort of public civic infrastructure set up specifically for the purpose of enacting organized violence against other human beings within the colonies uh, instead of, you know, outside aggressors. So 
These slave patrols were for first formed here in South Carolina in approximately 1704. Organized slave patrols lasted until the end of the Civil War with the abolition of slavery, uh, but the legacy of these slave patrols lived on with the rise of violent white terrorist organizations like the Ku Klux Klan uh, during the Reconstruction Era and municipal and state police departments established since then. So slave patrols really engaged in a lot of the typical day-to-day -day routines we see in modern police departments. Um, you know, things like enforcing curfews, uh, you know, breaking up, uh, you know, folks assembling without permission, and preemptively breaking up organized resistance groups. So given that police departments have a strong connection to slave patrols of the antebellum South, it's no wonder that the same systemic racism has been in place for over 300 years. It's no wonder that black folks are disproportionately harassed, um, arrested, imprisoned, or in some cases, murdered by the police. And let's get into some numbers here. Uh, more than a thousand unarmed people have been murdered by police officers between 2013 and 2019, according to data from Mapping Police Violence. And that breaks down to about 17 percent um, of the black people who died uh, as a result of the police, uh, as a result of police actions, were unarmed, a larger share than any other racial group, and about 1.3 times more than the average of 13%. Not surprisingly, there's not a lot of government data on this topic, so this sort of research largely falls on the shoulders of we the people. Uh, so groups like Mapping Police Violence is one of uh, a few efforts around the country uh, uh, to track information on police violence and the use of force. The past week's protest over the death of George Floyd, an African-American man who died after a white police officer knelt on his neck until he was unresponsive, followed multiple recent incidents of police violence against African-Americans. In fact, people of color were more likely to be the victims of police violence in 2019 than they were in 2014. 54% um, in 2019 compared to 50% in 2014. Despite the increased media focus, only about 1% of police officers involved with these sorts of things are charged with the crime, and even less are convicted, according to Mapping Police Violence once again. Um, in this case, the officer who knelt on Floyd's neck has been arrested and charged with murder. The other three officers involved have been charged with aiding and abetting murder. But remember, this is after days of massive protests, not just in big cities where we typically see this sort of thing, but in smaller communities uh, like Waxhaw, North Carolina, Paducah, Kentucky, State College, Pennsylvania, and Farmington, Missouri. Uh, this comes from worldwide solidarity uh, as protests have spread to many other countries as well. And we're not immune down here in, in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, it's, we have seen our share of protests, and in some ways, we're still dealing with the fallout. Uh, Well-armed police officers decked out in military-grade armor are riding around, as I speak, in armored vehicles, and they've been out in the streets shooting tear gas at peaceful protesters who only wanted to exercise their First Amendment rights. We haven't seen this sort of violent crackdown since the MUSC hospital strike of 1969 when the National Guard was called in. I want to be very clear about this. This is unprecedented for a lot of folks. Um, a lot of folks haven't seen this sort of uh, action in their lifetimes. So obviously the stakes are pretty high right now. And with protest actions popping off all over town, we felt like it would be helpful to focus our next few episodes on what's going on out in the streets right now. 
So in this episode, I'm going to be talking with my comrade Bennett, who you all might remember from a couple of earlier episodes. Uh, The one that immediately comes to mind is the uh, report from the most recent uh, DSA National Convention. So as well as being a member of the local DSA chapter and uh, a a marshal during the uh, most recent DSA National Convention 2019, uh, Bennett is also part of the National DSA Red Rabbits, a nonviolent resistance team established to train DSA members in de-escalation tactics and to provide marshals for public events. The Red Rabbits were formed in 2017 when several comrades in New York City saw that we needed a trained team of protest marshals with a clear communication structure to ensure that event attendees and organizers could make decisions and quickly transmit information to keep another safe uh, and out of the hands of police. We'll be spending most of this interview talking about uh, making street protests more effective. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, breaking down the role of what exactly a protest marshal does, and we're going to provide you with some research material for your own organization to keep yourself and your comrades safe. A final straw has been broken. And what happens next? Honestly, I don't know. But I do know this. We're in a unique moment in time. Uh, We're simultaneously dealing with a global pandemic, a collapse of the economy, and a fascist government that has completely abandoned whatever tenuous claims it has on legitimacy and democracy as it gasses peaceful protesters. I don't think it's alarmist to say that we have the ingredients for a revolution here. What we make out of those ingredients remains to be seen. Before we get into the episode... Let's take a moment to meditate on the names of just a few of the 429 people killed by police in 2020. Sadly, by the time this episode is released to the public, that number will probably be higher. Brianna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, 26 years old. George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, 46 years old. Ahmaud Arbery in Glen County, Georgia, 25 years old. Tony McDade in Tallahassee, Florida, 38 years old. Dion Johnson in Phoenix, Arizona, 28 years old. This episode is for them and all of our black brothers and sisters that have been cut down by a government who cares more about protecting property than protecting people. I'm CJ Bones, and this is Renegade Paradise, Black Lives Matter. And we are recording. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, uh, thanks again for joining me tonight, Bennett. I really appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. so, uh, uh, first and foremost, man, how you doing? Um, I know that there's been a lot going on lately with, you know, the pandemic and all of the protest actions happening. Um, how, how are you, how are you doing, man? Hanging in there, trying to balance it all. I was off work. I was out of work, I should say, for two months. Yeah. And now I'm back just part time, like three or four days a week, um, which is, you know, good in certain ways. It gives me time to, you know, make the document we're about to go through. Right. <laughs> um, you know, the money stuff is obviously always a thing, but yeah. this is kind of a interesting and good time to have a lot of days off during the week while there's a lot of action and a lot of stuff going on outside of 
you know, the work that you get paid for. So I'm kind of thankful to have, to be part-time during all of this, um, to have the free time to concentrate on some of this stuff that I might not be able to really lend as much time to if I was working, you know, 40, 50 plus hours a week. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What about you? Um, I'm, I'm doing fine. Um, I'm, uh, taking a step back from doing like street related stuff because, you know, I've got a medical condition I got to deal with. Um, right. Yeah. It makes me kind of susceptible to, uh, being in crowds. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard to just, it's obviously it's kind of difficult to, um, be, uh, as careful as you might want to be, um, in the middle of all this action. (laughs) Yeah. So the training tomorrow, I'm we're gonna I'm gonna try and do my best to keep people distance during it. We're doing it outside, which right. I'm told is 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 somewhat helpful. Right. Um, it's in a large field, so hopefully we can do six feet for most of it. Right. There will be some kind of like role playing portions where you could social distance, but. I feel like if you're going to be a marshal or coming out for this, chances are you're going to come in contact with people at a protest or a direct action. Yeah. So it's kind of, I don't know. It's been, it's been weird. Like usually I help with caretaking of my grandmother and I've been back to work. We're letting people inside. I'm going, I've been going to a couple of the protests and stuff. And so I just, I have to leave stuff at her door. Like I can't go in anymore. It's just, you know, everything's different now. Yeah. Um, so you want to just go through this and. Yeah. Um, well, uh, talk a little bit about the training, um, that you're, 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 um, that you're working on. And obviously by the time this episode gets, go, uh, gets out there, it'll already be, um, done, but I'm, mm-hmm. I, I think if I remember right from, uh, our discord, um, we're going to be doing these periodically and obviously this episode will help. Um, mm-hmm. so, so put that in context a little bit for us. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be doing a series of trainings to hopefully, um, we'll kick off with one tomorrow. Uh, but I want to do more than one. There seems to be people really interested. It's short notice. So want to do more than one so people can work around their work schedule. The training is a a training on marshalling, which a lot of people might not be familiar with. I wasn't super familiar with it until I went to the DSA national convention with yourself and Nick. Yeah. You were on a, you were on an episode, um, uh, Gosh, it feels like a long time ago, but um, you know, <laughs> almost a year. Ago. Yeah, was it right? almost a year? Jeez, didn't we go in August? Yeah, late July. Yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. Ah. Um, so I joined the marshaling team there. It's called the Red Rabbits, which is a watership down reference, which is kind of cool. Right. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. We. I learned all about marshalling, learned about de-escalation, learned about how to communicate with uh, people, with agitators, either outside agitators or you know, agitators who are on the same team, so yeah. to speak. 
I think uh, that's important. Are, yeah, because yeah, um, you know, just because you're marching with somebody, um, they're not necessarily going to be uh, using safe tactics. Um, right. They're not. They're not always going to have like the best interests of the group in mind. Um, yeah, and yeah, that there's definitely a need. I think to uh, to kind of. And, and speaking as as a hothead myself, you know, there's uh, there's definitely a need for cooler bo- uh, uh, cooler voices to uh, uh, to step in and like mitigate that risk. It's just there. It's good to have people identified as people to go to if things happen. Right. Um, was you know I've been at actions before where there weren't marshals. There or there weren't enough marshals, or the group of protesters didn't quite understand, or not just protesters, any action didn't quite understand what a marshal was. Right. And if used properly, marshals can really be a great way to make the protest, make the action so much more effective right. and safe, keeping energy up. Um, keeping people healthy. I mean, I, I, we were, I was at one recently where, you know, someone had a heat stroke and there were medical, you know, marshals that were medics there. Um, making sure, you know, simple stuff that people might not think about, but if you're in a long march, the people at the front of the march might be a quarter of a mile away from the people at the back of the march. Yeah. Yeah, and something might be happening at the front or in the middle or the back, and those people don't know that that's going on, and they can't react to that or make decisions based on that. And and so a lot of what we'll be going over is is really just communication, how to communicate in a large group, right, and how to keep each other safe, and how to keep cohesion in a large group so that the messages that folks are getting are trying to get out when protesting are, are, are being heard in the most cohesive way. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're seeing unprecedented protests, um, everywhere right now. I can't Um, keep up with them. Yeah. Like, Charleston, obviously, very sizable protests over uh, over last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, bigger cities that you would usually expect to see some sort of direct action happening. Mm-hmm. Immense. Mm-hmm. Going down multiple city blocks easily. So, yeah. yeah. And, and um, uh, definitely recommended for uh, situations like this. Um, yeah. But one thing that has been bringing me a lot of joy is... Um, you know, seeing these protests pop up in smaller towns. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a pretty conservative small town and um, I happened to spot on the news that there was, there, there was a protest there. Like, yeah, I want to say maybe less than a hundred people showed up, um, but yeah. still like any number. Rural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rural any, any number has been awesome see. to see. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, in, in a lot of cases, um, no matter the size of the crowd, you know, uh, a good marshalling team is critical because of that, of keeping that line of communication open. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, um, in, um, 
increasing the effectiveness of the protest. And also, as socialists, we just have a job, and that job is to look out for each other. And yeah, and as all about you know specifically you you and I as white men as well. Yeah, um, we have a specific job to not only take our lead from our comrades of color, but also to protect our comrades of color from state violence. Absolutely. And that'll be, you know, that is something that I want to make really clear during these trainings is when we talk about white privilege, this is a way to really protect and listen to our comrades of color and, you know, marshalling can really keep people safe and, and um, can really use that as a positive. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so let's just kind of break it down. Uh, talk about, uh, so we talked a little bit about like m- what marshalling is, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's, um, you know, it's a way to make street protests more effective. Um, it's a way to keep like the energy level high. Um, it's a way for us to look out for each other, especially, you know, you know, like you said, you and I being white dudes, mm-hmm. um, to kind of look out for the safety and security of our comrades of color. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, talk a little bit about what marshalling is not because folks mm-hmm. that may not have a lot of experience in street actions and protests, you know, they might be kind of like confused as to, uh, you know, what marshals do and even if they're necessary. Yeah. yeah. So marshals are, are not there to guarantee safety. That's, in, that's impossible. It, it just cannot be, it cannot be done. You never know where, direct action is going to go where things are going to shift um though we are there to marshals are there to help um also marshals are not there to make people comply with the law oftentimes during a direct action you are purposely breaking the law to make a point uh we're not authorities we're definitely not police um and we're not there to pour water on on militancy if it's being effective. And so, yeah, to wrap up the thought on what a marshal is not, a marshal's job is to help participants make effective decisions about what to do with their righteous anger, with the energy that they're bringing to the action. Marshal's job is to protect those also who do not want to be affected by people taking more militant action. Right. So, as with anything, there's levels to this. And there's also people are differently abled. Um, people have different, you know, physical and emotional abilities and capacities. Right. But that doesn't mean that those folks are do not have righteous anger and do not have energy to add to something. Right. So a marshal's job is to really assist people at all of those levels. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. We can't have, um, you know, we can't have these street actions um, and show up in these mass numbers and like present um, a unified front of folks across all ages, across all um, uh, abilities. Um, you know, if we if we don't make space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to your point, there there absolutely shouldn't be any sort of uh, 
tamping down of, of militant actions. Like, no. And, and this is kind of something that you and I have seen a lot online as a lot of organizing has moved online on account of the COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a lot of chatter about certain organizations like working with police officers uh, yeah. extensively through a protest. Obviously, as we're talking about marshalling, there's going to be some, uh, you know, communication with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically within a de-escalation uh, kind of framework. Um, right. That's definitely not what some organizations are trying to do. No. There's a difference between, and so with a marshalling team, oftentimes there will be a portion of that group that is in communication with the law enforcement. Right. And is, in, in, is a liaison especially between folks who are not comfortable speaking with law enforcement. Absolutely. Um, And for setting some ground rules at times for certain negotiations at times. And so that the police have sort of point people to come to so that they don't take action without at, at least some verbal communication. Right. Um, and having those avenues open, but that is completely different than planning things with the police or buddying up with the police. Um, that's, that is not what the Marshall team is there to do. And that, that's not what, you know, this, that's not what any of them is is about (laughs) at all. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. 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 Well, um, while we're on that topic, um, you know, let's talk about what kind of legal rights uh, you have while participating in these sort of street actions, just to make sure that, you know, all of our listeners are, you know, kind of brushed up on it. Okay. Um, um, And I I will say that the ACLU of Charleston uh, Thursday or recently did an entire thing on South Carolina and Charleston area specific legal rights and that's right. a pretty that's a pretty good primer for specific stuff yeah but um we'll definitely have to put that in the episode notes so let's um cool. if you if you have that document um just drop it in like discord or the chat cool. or something absolutely um yeah so a lot of people feel that they need a lot of permission from from the police but you know, this is a First Amendment issue, and we the people are in charge of the police. Goddamn right. Um, and this is a First Amendment issue. We're trying to get specific things um, to be heard. And the legal rights are, I mean, if you are, are you saying like when you are arrested those legal rights or legal rights in spaces? I think just sort of a broader approach, like, um, uh, just for, I guess for, as an example, um, the city of Charleston, you can't organize. And and this is really interesting, uh, interesting because North Charleston doesn't have this rule, but Mm -hmm. in the city of Charleston proper, you can't group together in groups more than 50, which is Mm -hmm. really interesting because Charleston has been home to uh, revolts over the years by enslaved people, um, Denmark Vesey being the most um, 
you know, well-known mm-hmm. and, you know, I would imagine that a lot of the laws kind of surrounding that um, probably are a direct response to those uprisings, to a, a direct response to working class folks, uh, people of color, organizing to uh, speak out about their rights and, and defend their rights. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's let's let's kind of talk in a broad sense, and then mm-hmm. after we go through that, we'll talk specifically about you know what to expect if you have to work your way through the legal system. Right. So I think in a, in a broad sense, there's going to be a little bit of a dance going on between uh, your civil disobedience, the first amendment and the police that you're dealing with. Um, right. And it's all very, it's all very situational, like whether it's the laws of your immediate, you know, city or state, or yeah. you know your specific situation, or even the 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 police officer you happen to be running into. Unfortunately, right. one thing I see a lot in, mm-hmm. um, especially like when people in Charleston, um, and I've been guilty of this too. Uh, when people talk in Charleston about like protesting, people usually get really into their feelings about like, oh, what kind of pro- uh, permits do we need? Um, uh, so, can you talk a little bit about that permission culture, basically? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that we're not we're not really trying to comply <laughs> with a lot of these things. That's kind of the point of a lot of right. this. Right. The permission culture is the permission culture is 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 listening to the police without them telling you really what is needed already. And the thing about direct action is that you are already free you you should and you should act accordingly right you have your first amendment rights you're not doing anything wrong you're allowed to assemble you're allowed to be in the street you're allowed to be on a sidewalk you're allowed to picket and tamping down on those things and making and and using fear to tamp down on those things is, right. is really a tactic that police use that isn't they don't really have the legal right to do any of those right. things. Exactly. Um, kind of a sidebar. Um, talk a little bit about the um, pearl clutching around like broken windows, basically. So obviously when direct, like when large street actions, when large protests happen, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes windows get broken, you know, sometimes uh, things get messed up. And I've noticed a a lot of people, especially white wealthy people, um, instantly hyper focus on that sort of collateral damage. Basically, talk a little bit about that and like, kind of what, like, set the stage on what the stakes are and why that sort of um, anger might be misplaced. I mean, the the basic thing is that the these folks have insurance and we're here on such a bigger thing than some broken windows and right. lo- looting or broken windows or something like that. It, it's not a tactic. And I think people confuse this a lot of the times as being a specific tactic or something that is planned or there's like s- conversations going on with people being like, okay, 
these are the establishments that we're going to break windows in. Right. These are the establishments that we're going to do this, but right. more so during a direct action or during a protest, there are boiling points and there is righteous anger and the anyone that breaks a window or loots or something like that, they're, they didn't, they're not, it's not, premeditated it's a right a reaction of i mean years and years and hundreds of years of of anger of right. oppression right and if you have a bot pot of water and it's heating up and it hits a temperature to boil and it boils over that that's because you were applying pressure to it and applying heat to it. Right. That's not, that, that's not because the water planned to boil over. Right. And I think that's something that people really misunderstand when it comes to um, a direct action or a protest that ends in some sort of property damage. Right. Exactly. And I would, I don't want to speak for the rest of the chapter, but I would take a million broken windows um you know, versus the life of one person, you know, absolutely. Like when, oh yeah. You know, like you said, you know, places have insurance, windows can be replaced, uh, inventory can be replaced. Yeah. Human lives cannot be replaced. No, so, you're, I mean, uh, the windows and your, your building doesn't have a beating heart and lungs that breathe. Right. Exactly. And when you say, you know, uh, Oh, I'm fine with the protests. Um, you know, and, but the looting, well, it, it's just like, I don't know. It just seems to like really missing the point. It, it, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And <laughs> I'd also like to think about, um, we as a community, like we have the ability to, um, to support each other if things go south and if our windows get broken during one of these direct actions. Like for example, uh, Mama Kim's, uh, uh, you know, a, a immigrant owned restaurant downtown. Uh, mm -hmm. They had some property damaged. There was a GoFundMe created five days ago, uh, set originally for a $5,000 goal. Mm -hmm. um, they are now approaching uh, $18,000. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So while I, I personally, Bones, would not um, encourage like damaging property yeah. uh, owned by like immigrants. Um, yeah. These things do happen, and and it's unfortunate. But I think there needs to be a shift in people counting on their community, counting on their neighbors mm -hmm. um, to help each other. Basically, yeah. Um, yeah, I think people really mix up what you know dsa uh whatever political tree you are on in dsa communist anarchist um etc they really mix up the fact that and there's so much discourse right now about anarchists and antifa <laughs> in the mainstream media which is just kind of mind-blowing to me um, I never thought that I would, that the president would really even know what Antifa was or talk about anarchists I mean, in my life. To be fair, he still doesn't. <laughs> he has, yes, that's true. He actually that, that doesn't prevent Donald Trump from talking about it. That's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, 
really the misunderstanding is that anarchists are people that burn stuff down and uh want to destroy a community when in reality anarchists are so intensely the opposite of that because all they've ever wanted was to support and be a part of a community that supports each other yeah builds a community for themselves with other people and it, it just is really fascinating to watch that that uh discussion on mostly on the internet but also i mean now it's on the news i mean with so many people looking for a scapegoat for the for the protests that they don't they for the actions that they don't find uh acceptable the looting the lighting things on fire everyone seems to have a scapegoat whether it be your russian resistance moms or your um antifa or whatever but in reality, an, an, an anarchist wants nothing more than to build a loving community. Yeah, exactly. If you're worried about like what the anarchists in your city are doing, go talk to them. Yeah. I, I promise you. Not only They're will probably they probably feeding someone. Yeah, I was about to say. Not <laughs> only will you get a a good hot meal out of it. Like yeah. I work with food, not bombs full of young anarchists all of them younger than i am yeah (laughs) and they know how to cook but like that's what they do they want a sense of community and and they they feel that in like their bones and their guts and and that doesn't jive with the narrative that's out there that you know anarchists just want to like throw bricks through windows and burn things down i mean like like you and i were saying these things happen during like you know heated moments during these these uh direct actions yeah. and street protests but um you know fucking a dude um there's a lot that, of anger that has been built up through a lot of oppression a lot of racism a lot of white supremacy a lot of disenfranchisement through intense capitalism and th- I'm sorry, but at a certain point, a person can only handle so much and they're going to break a window. Exactly. Um, There is a report put out by the Washington Post I would like to direct our our listeners to, and I'll link it in the episode description as well. Um, uh, It's a report by the Washington Post called Fatal Force, and it keeps track of, uh, you know, fatal police encounters and 1,004 people were shot and killed by police in 2019. Um, so, I don't know. You tell me. Like, is it more important? That, like, like where, where should your anger lie? If it's mm-hmm. with, like, some property damage and, like, some buildings that were spray-painted, uh, you may have your priorities messed up. Because 1,004 yeah. people were killed by police officers in 2019. Yeah. Um, People are saying, I am so upset about George Floyd's murder, but you can't have people destroying property. Right. Right. I'm sorry, but that you have the sentence reversed. Right. Exactly. I'm sorry, but no one should ever be murdered by a policeman. And I'm sorry that some of your property was messed up. Right. You know, like, yeah. It's completely backwards. It's yeah. just in, insane to me. Yeah. And you can feel both of those things at the same time. 
Absolutely. But you have to in there, you know, there have been some really cogent and I think heartfelt and helpful responses from certain business owners in Charleston. Right. That have shown that you don't have to make a horrible post. Right. About it. Uh, If there, I mean, there's been so many horrible posts from business leaders and political leaders. It's just been terrible. And then, you know, using the, a lot of times they'll use the excuse that they didn't know what to post or didn't know what to say. It's like, well, other business, not only did other businesses manage to do it, but there's also plenty of people of color that you could, I don't know, pay, give, actually support them financially. Right. And talk to them and pay for their labor and knowledge to better yourself and your business. Yep. And actually learn and listen as opposed to hopping out, making sure you crank out a post or something. It's just crazy to me. Yeah. Or, you know, take it a step further, like hire them on, on your uh, executive team, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like hire them on for leadership positions. Yeah. What does your board look like? What does your ownership group look like? Exactly. What does your team look like? I mean, do you have any representation whatsoever? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When in doubt, put money in the hands of folks that need it and deserve it. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of defund and yeah. Defunding police stuff going around right now. And it's, I, I really, I, this is tangential for the marshalling thing, but. Oh, every episode we have is basically an <laughs> hour and a half long tangent. So you're fine. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's tangential, but I do, I mean, it's all, you know, somewhat related. Um, this just, this, I mean, I've been, I've read about defunding and it's been something I've, I've supported for a while, but. This is an, this is not something I saw in the last few years, the last five, ten no. years during a protest. You know, after Freddie Gray, after the Emanuel shooting, um, Walter Scott, etc. Um, there were protests and there there were things, but I didn't see as much defund the police. And as many people posting about alternatives to exactly. police departments as this, maybe that's just me. I, I don't know. It, it seems like it's way more out there and way more mainstreamed than it ever has been. And that's amazing to see. I think you're right. Yeah. There's, there's more than there, there are definitely more folks that are specifically plugged into like, um, you know, prison abolition, uh, you know, police abolition, like there are definitely more comrades that are more plugged into that than I am. But um, it really feels like kind of from an outside observer perspective, like this has been placed front and center in the discussion. And yeah, I'm seeing like people and I, I'm not going to call anyone out, but people who are like Beto O'Rourke supporters, right? Posting about defunding the police. Right. That's insane to me. Yeah. Well, that's like have... a different, that's a different level. Yeah. I did not see like 
I did not hear that from anyone, you know, five, definitely not 10 years ago. Yeah. But I mean, maybe I wasn't as plugged in or wasn't maybe now I'm just I'm probably just isolated. My feed right. is all isolated. It's, it's not unfair to assume that we're all somewhat isolated. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and the words and the, 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 the reports on the front line and the photos and the videos speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not going to go into them, dude. Um, mm-hmm. cause, uh, if you can, if you can see this footage of, mm-hmm. um, if you can see this footage of like, you know, elderly people being just like pushed to the ground, um, yeah. young activists being shot in the head with rubber bullets. Yeah. Um, I mean, we point, were. Oh, go yeah. ahead. No, it, it's just. It's, it's, I mean, it makes me physically ill every day. Yeah. There, there needs to be a point, um, where if you see something, it kind of is beyond politics. I want there to be, maybe this is me being naive. I want there to be a massive outcry from all of America that this is fucking wrong. Um, the sanctity of human life. Yeah. I, I don't understand how, yeah, it's hard not to be, you know, it's hard not to get emotional seeing these. Yeah. I mean, the whole country, and I, th- I think it might, this, a lot of this reaction, you know, people were inside. A lot of people were maybe looking at their phones more so. Yeah. The video of George Floyd it's not, you know, past videos, people made excuses. Right. Oh, the cop acted in self-defense. Right. Oh, uh, someone was startled and they didn't, they weren't thinking. Right. I mean, this is not, this is cut and dry murder. Right. And I think people are, I think more people are seeing it and are seeing it possibly because we're inside with coronavirus as well. Yeah. And since a lot of us, you know, our, our work schedules um, are kind of weird right now, maybe um, I, I think it kind of puts into very sharp focus. Like if you are not spending all of your free time, you know, working for a living, you've got the ability to like yeah you know, um do other together. stuff yeah get together with your fellow working class and be that iron yeah. hand that crushes fascism right absolutely yeah, yeah. i mean well there's 40 My favorite linen quote <laughs> nice. as of recording there's what 40 million people out of work that's, yeah i think that's a that's lot of people right. with some free time the uh, CNBC says 21.5 million. Um, okay. but I don't know where I got my number from. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's also CNBC, so I don't know. I have, a ton. yeah, I, I have a hard time like 
figuring out who to believe and who to trust sometimes, but, uh, we'll just go with a lot, but a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Um, um let's so kind of, this, yeah, this let's, let's kind of shift here. back to the, uh, the, the, the topic at hand here. We did so, definitely go on a tangent, but it was a good, well, there's a lot of things going on. There's yeah. a lot of stuff to get out. Yeah. So this document is really three has like kind of three elements to it. And, and, that is like, what is a marshal generally and what can you do? What are the different types of marshals, et cetera, et cetera. Then there's a whole other section specifically on de-escalation, okay. which is a term that, I mean, I knew through marshalling and stuff, but now it's like everywhere. Everyone is talking about de-escalation and escalation and so really the middle section of the training and of this document is all about how to deescalate and how to not deescalate and how to talk to someone, how to calm someone down or how to do deep listening, how to, you know, what types of sentences to use, what types of sentences to not use, um, how to suggest things to someone who is upset Right. Uh, and then the third portion of it is um, something that I put together from listening to Channel Zero and Pod Damn America, which are okay. um, just two leftist pods that I like, that um, is all about protest safety tips. Yeah. We'll, and, we'll link those as well. Yeah. And we shared them. I know. I should probably take some notes. <laughs> That's, all good, but um, oh, I should probably mention that uh, one podcast uh, that is uh, part of Channel Zero still, I think, is uh, the Final Straw Radio out of Asheville. Um, they also have a uh, live radio show on uh, Asheville FM. So, oh, amazing! Yeah, so if you're up in uh, if you're up in the mountains um, and um, you know you're fortunate enough to get that over your uh, over the air, definitely yeah. check them out. Um, if, uh, but they also can be listened to worldwide. So yeah. that's amazing. I well, feel, I basically yeah. listened to them and like, I just typed out a lot of stuff that they were saying yeah. and made this list and then kind of made it a little bit more Charleston specific. So that's great. This document is really like those three documents that, um, the national red rabbits, um, and then just like listening to different things I put together here. So yeah, marshalling, de-escalating, and what to do and not do at a protest. Um, and really this came about just from the last week or so of actions, like attending a few of them. Right. And being like, I mean, I really think they've been amazing and trying to think about how can I actually be helpful right? and listening to the Black Lives Matter leaders here and especially at um, an action in North Charleston that I was at, right. really like trying to see like what is something that DSA could do that's tangible with the skills and the people that we have and it seems like there's a lot of new protesters, a lot of new young people who are 
getting into this for the first time, right? Maybe these are some of the first direct action campaigns they've been involved in, uh-huh. which is incredible. Because I mean, what last time we held hands on the bridge, um, and this is just different. This is another level, and it should be. It should have been then, but it definitely should be now. And so putting together these were kind of like, okay, things have moved up. There's more civil disobedience. We're not asking for permits. We're not asking for permission. We're trying to make a statement here. Here's how to prepare for that so that when inevitably the government tries to tamp down on that, uh, we have at least some amount of preparedness. Right. Yeah. Nothing's, um, nothing's ever perfect. Nothing's ever set in stone. No. Uh, it is important to think about these things from, uh, you know, beforehand. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. On that note, um, let's, and, and if this is okay with you, do you want to talk about like, um, what to expect? Like, you know, if you are caught up, by uh, police in an action? Absolutely. So my hope is that we can have specific marshals for helping people um, if they are caught up either by police or know someone who's caught up by police. And the two major things is first and last name and birth date. Right. So the police are arresting someone and you know them. Mm -hmm. If you're going to an action with someone, which you should be, you should not be going alone. You should know that person's birth date and you should know their first and last name. Right. And you should never be without with, you should never be further away from them than than like a loud speaking voice. Right. If not directly next to them. Yeah. Always have a buddy. buddy. Say what? Use that buddy system. It's it. We learned it when we were in kindergarten and the state run education system never thought we would weaponize it against them. But (laughs) (laughs) the buddy system is vital (laughs) to this. Yeah. You know, they should never be out of the range of your voice. And you should know their first and last name and you should know their birthday and their legal first and last name because that's what they're going to be booked by. On top of that, you should have somewhere. And I've recently heard an update on this. I didn't know this until actually really recently. You should have the bail number written somewhere where the police cannot see it. I've always written it on my forearm because it's really easy to hold your forearm up and read it. Right. Um, But I was recently told by someone in the national group, instead of writing the bail number or legal aid number on your forearm, you should write it somewhere where the police can't see it. And the reason for this is police in certain jurisdictions are setting bail higher if you have a bail legal number written on you. Right. So um, maybe a leg under your shorts or um, on your stomach or something. I know that these things sound silly, but you don't 
know when you're going to get arrested. Very rarely are you planning on it. And so I would say those are the big beforehand things to do. The afterwards things, um, again, I'd like to link to the ACLU because that was something that they went over, but obviously call the legal aid number. Um, There is a bail fund set up and there are pro bono lawyers to help with that. Um, From what I've seen here locally, most of the charges are for blocking uh, the street. Right. Um, That's what most of the bookings have been. And the bail has been kind of all over the place. I've seen some as low as $250, some that are $1,200 and then some that are astronomical. Right. Um, yeah, we had a, um, there was a, um, um, a, uh, activist as part of the local black lives matter chapter, um, that had their bail set, um, almost at a quarter million dollars. And you know what? We fucking raised it. And we got them out. Yeah. That's unbelievable. That's the power of community. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, so those are some basic things um, for before and after. Um, and then a little bit more about before for specific things. And some, you know, I tried to make this document and training pretty broad. Right. Charleston, there you never know what is going to happen during, and you never know what's going to happen after. And so far, the police here, and I hate to say this because they have done some really terrible things, but right. they haven't done as terrible of things as are happening in other jurisdictions. And that right. is not to minimize anything that's happened here, but there's a lot of information security stuff in terms of encrypted text messages, maybe not even bringing a phone to an action, um, covering tattoos, um, making sure that you're not identifiable. Um, those types of things I haven't heard about the police using footage other than in one specific case, which seems like an outlier. Um, but those are things to keep in mind, especially if you are planning on being someone on the front line, someone who is, um, willing to lock arms with your other white comrades to protect comrades of color and to really be a physical barrier between the police and comrades of color, um, those are some things to think about. And so again, there's levels to all of this. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously if you're a medic on the medic team and you're passing out band-aids and waters and snacks, chances are lower that you're going to be, you know, dot, you know, that, that the police are going to go through footage and then arrest you later or something like that. But, um, just some things to think about and things yeah. that I did include because I just, I, my hope is that this is just the beginning. We're only a week into this here right. in Charleston. Um, 
and so I hope that this is just the beginning of actions and change. And so I just wanted to include some stuff just in case the climate changes here. Exactly. That's, that's well said. Um, and, um, is kind of before we move on, is there any sort of like, you know, really important tips that, cause we talked about like, you know, kind of what we, you know, what left us, should keep in mind like as, as just an overall mindset when, when, um, committing to these sort of, Mm -hmm. uh, like unplanned or not unplanned, unpermitted direct actions. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like kind of what consequences to expect. And obviously we'll, we'll put some, uh, resources, uh, legal resources and bail resources in the Mm -hmm. episode notes. Um, but are there any sort of other like dangers that especially folks new to this sort of thing that uh, they need to be aware of? I mean, and this has happened here. I mean, physical either being gassed with tear gas or um, being shot at with rubber bullets, being batoned in the head, all of those types of physical things. And then also, I mean, depending on what your, who your employer is. Right. I mean, not everyone can not everyone has an employer that is going to be okay with, with you being on television or with you going to jail for a night or a few nights or et cetera, et cetera. So those are definitely consequences that you need to weigh um, and take into account. um, If you do plan to be, um, or if you are prepared to do yeah. that. All very relevant. Um, all very important. And, uh, we, we and, all, and there not, there are solutions at least for the physical things in, in the document. Right. Um, and I think it's also important for us to remember that, um, you know, there are other things you can do besides, um, you know, participating in these sort of actions. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, the, top thing off the top of my head I can think of is contributing to bail funds, mm-hmm. uh, dropping, uh, you know, some resources and some cash into, uh, activists, uh, you know, Venmo and, and cash app and PayPal accounts. Um, uh, I'd like Absolutely. to give a shout out to, uh, Charleston activist network, uh, Mickey dad's been doing some great work here in our community. Um, we'll, we'll put, uh, we'll put our, uh, info in here as well this is going to be and just be a lot of homework (laughs) yeah well that's kind of what we need to do right now it is i mean there's a lot of homework that needs to be done a lot of reading and a lot of listening exactly Um, and yeah also just venmo mika for for her labor both her emotional labor that she's put into this movement Right. Education, the labor that she puts into her educational materials and just everything that she does. I mean, her posts, her media presence and everything, all the information she yeah. shares. And and that's the, the, the thing that is really amazing to me is like uh, Mika like gets into like these hard to find, uh, hard to track down like historical texts and like parses yeah. them out and like scans photos. And it's not yeah. just reposting stuff. Like anybody can do that. 
yeah. uh, you know, she really gets into the nitty gritty and makes sure that it is locally appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. Because one of the things we we have to fight here in in Charleston is we always have to push back against this sort of whitewashed Confederate Disneyland, like the sort of oh, gone yeah. with the wind narrative, basically. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, I think we're probably um, pretty close to wrapping up. But before yeah. we do, um, let's talk about like uh, information security. Like, so this yes. is something we should, you know, this is something and I think we may, we, uh, we should think about like, you know, before and after um, a protest action. Like this is Definitely. something that we should lay the groundwork before we get into this sort of stuff. Yeah, and this is, so for people who aren't aren't familiar with this, so info security or infosec is, is something to protect your personal information and protect the information of those that you're with so that bad actors, AKA, Nazis or people that want to harm you in some way or law enforcement don't get your information or the information of the people that you're with. Um, And this is something that I've seen a a lot of not great stuff um, online with people posting not blurred out images of people doing illegal things yeah. in the name of civil disobedience yeah and i get it because it's like emotions are high and, yeah. and like you want to share like this is this thing we're doing and it's really fucking cool and it is fucking cool um yeah. but also it's don't exciting. forget you know there yeah. are repercussions to this especially like for certain folks over some other folks you know yes and again i would like to reiterate that um the brunt of state brutality on our comrades of color is not, is not the same as the brunt of state brutality on, on us white guys. Right. And we have to, we can't be posting videos and pics of with people's faces. So just an overall general rule, videotape the police. Yeah. Not the protesters. And not the protesters. Yeah. Um, so, um, but in terms of personal info security, some simple, super simple things are to use an encrypted text text service like Signal Chat, to use a pin code on your phone, um, not fingerprint or face scan. Uh, the law, law enforcement can get a warrant for that, but they cannot get a warrant for your PIN code. Anytime that's possible, use two-factor authentication. Um, when you're using an app such as Signal, if possible, they have a disappearing messages option, which is great. Right. Um, when using social media, you know, don't, again do anything that's going to implicate you or implicate someone that you're with. Right. When in Um, doubt, don't post it. Yeah. Social media is really great. It's great for getting the word out, but it's also a great way to tell on yourself and tell on people that you're with, you know, always ask for consent when you're photographing someone. Um, Don't use full names. Ask someone if you're allowed to use their name whatsoever. Um, and then some more 
more like when you're working in a group, like say you join a team of marshals or you join DSA or, or et cetera, you know, be very specific about how you're sharing documents online, who has access to them, how the link is set up. Um, pretty basic stuff, but stuff that people just might not be thinking about. And um, you can go really, really deep into it. Um, but I, I try to just outline like kind of basic, simple stuff to do. Yeah. A lot of people suggest not bringing, bringing a burner phone, you know, to a protest. Right. Again, like here things haven't really popped off like that. Um, in other cities where the direct action is a lot more intense, um, you know, paying for a phone where you pay by minutes and just putting like the vital numbers in there and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah. Talk a little bit more about burner phones because I feel like when people hear that it's, it might sound a little intimidating. It's, it's not, but I think there might be. Okay. Yeah. Super simple. You can go to Walmart. They have phones that you can buy for, I don't know, like $15 and you can pay to have a SIM card put in it and minutes put on it. And then you can load like the five most important phone numbers, your four best friends and your mom or whatever you want to put in there. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's not connected to you or your information. It's not going to have, I mean, our phones nowadays have every single thing you would ever need to construct. Like you it's almost like, yeah, it just has everything about us in right. them now. Passwords and social security numbers and all so much information, right. banking information. And so a burner phone is not going to have that. It's just right. going to have really basic info. So if, you know, it's lost, stolen, or seized, it, it can't be used against you in the same way, basically. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, that's that's another level of security you can take it at. Um, but if nothing else, um, you know, turn your phone off. Yeah. Uh, use you know number authentication. Um, mm-hmm. You can upgrade to the six number instead of the four four number now. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know if you have a pretty good feeling things might go south. Yeah. Burner phone's a good investment. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I said, this, this document and training, like I, I think is going to go beyond a lot of what is currently happening right. here mm-hmm. in Charleston, but I want to at least have put the info out there for people, right? Um, for people to at least feel like it's available. Any parting thoughts you have for us this evening? Um, love one another, stay safe never stop fighting, never stop believing that we can build a better world. Right. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Yeah. Thanks for doing what you do. Yeah. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, you know, it's, it's really important, I think, to build this, this culture of of people taking care of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and there might be some times over the next days, weeks, months, years. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a psychic, Mm-hmm. Um, where we're going to have to like confront some really frightening realities. Um, yeah. I, I mean, know. the president did 
recently threatened military action on this on the yeah. local level so yeah and uh governor mcmaster like was all in on it so if you're one of those I'm like sure like don't tread on me people that somehow stumbled onto yeah. this podcast you might want to think about that because also email <laughs> us and let us know how you found it yeah <laughs> fascinating yeah but yeah um, i that's yeah if you're a don't if you're a, a snake flag guy i don't know how you could possibly circle that square right like he literally said, and this is a quote from the Post and Courier, the uh, you know Charleston newspaper. I think there was just a handful of arrests. They had five Humvees rolling around the city of Charleston very peacefully, and I don't know how a Humvee can run peacefully, but you know maybe we'll have a different episode on that. Yeah. Um, and then the other quote is, "Strength works. You have to dominate." So. Um, yeah, what does that tell you about your governor and what he thinks of like people and their legitimate First Amendment right to protest? Doesn't sound um, great to me. Yeah, I. That's a whole other app. That's another episode right there. That's that's a couple episodes, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we could do a whole episode on military weaponry and local police enforcement. Yeah, hands. I mean, the stuff that's been brought out, it looks like. It was straight up like decommissioned from, I mean, some of it looks like Desert Storm stuff, but some of it looks like it has to be like very recent stuff yeah. from, I, I don't know. Like you got very recent, police like, officers rolling around like they stepped right out of Halo or some shit. And yeah, they <laughs> look like Master Chief. Yeah. In, like, in char- <laughs> like and not like in big city, like in Charleston, in North Charleston. Right. Like North Charleston police officers looked like like a, someone from, like they look like Master Chief. It's yeah. insane. And meanwhile, like we still, still, three months into this pandemic, we still can't get like enough proper uh, PPE for, for uh, frontline healthcare workers. Um, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah, we yeah. could have a. We should have a. We should do. And this is off topic, but I mean, pretty much everything now, except for the police, is 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 privatized, right? Under the capitalist system, and I think we're seeing why that is, and that's the protection of private private property, right? And I mean, I just. I've never been against a union so ever really. I mean, just the police officers union right. and the way that it, it, it's just nuts. Anyway, tangent. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I feel like our, our episodes usually are tangents with some notes thrown in Good. for decoration. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, thanks again. Um, Thank you so much. Really appreciate your me. time. Um, Take care of yourself, Bennett. Um, really, uh, every time we, we chit-chat, it's a pleasure. Yeah, um, you too. Solidarity forever. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> cool, and, man. Um, to those of y'all out there, things things are scary right now, and I get that. And you might be feeling a lot of feelings right now. Um, um, and and th- that's fine. That's valid. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. um, let's not take our eyes off the prize. Um, Maybe now, um, if you thought about joining DSA, mm-hmm. thought about getting involved in some sort mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, 
some sort of organizing, but we're kind of on the fence. Weren't really sure how you can contribute. Um, now's the time. Yeah. Um, chances are, no matter where you live, because like I said, there are, you know, this pro these protests have spread to small cities. I literally just read an article today about Waxhaw, North Carolina, which is about, uh, which is, you know, South of Charlotte, you know, very small town. Um, I don't know if there's a, a city beyond uh, like a designation beyond Exer, but like that's, that's Waxhaw. Yeah. Um, like now's the time. And leftists, if nothing else, we're really good at like figuring out, how to work together mm -hmm. and if Absolutely. you know how to like if you know how to write if you know how to talk if you know how to draw a picture if you know how to write music if you're you know if you're willing to like lift something heavy if you know how to like maybe cook something if you if you are just a friendly ear and are good at listening like we will put you in the mix in the best way we know. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, man, All right, man. take care of yourself, buddy. You too. Good night. Bye. Bye. <laughs>